Hello everyone and welcome to Behind Massive Screens, a game development podcast here from Massive Entertainment in Malmö, Sweden. My name is Dori and uh, I am continuing on my onwards plan of taking over this podcast completely. First I joined as a uh, co-host and now I'm doing the intro. Yeah, I thought, uh, yeah. You you you're you're not doing a good job. I mean, I keep showing up. You keep unlocking the door. That's uh, your problem. So you're far. always first in the room. So far. Also, yeah. Petter is here. I'm here. I'm still <laughs> 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 uh, this is my life. Hey everyone, welcome. How are you, Dory? Oh, I'm, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Uh, for those of you only listening on uh, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, uh, you should t- tune into the uh, YouTube version to see my glorious holiday sweater. It I'm is in the beautiful. festive spirit. It's pretty awesome. And it, if this comes is, right? if this it comes is. out in January, tough. Uh, we're recording in December. <laughs> you, it's Christmas. You, yeah, you can become all nostalgic thinking back to. Ah, uh, the wonders of uh, the holidays. Yeah, if if, sto- if stores can start decorating in November, I can wear Christmas stuff in January. Next year, we're going to spray paint your beard white. <laughs> yes. And we're going to complete the whole thing. <laughs> we have a guest. Oh. Yes. Oh, oh, <laughs> we can sit here forever, but <laughs> we have a guest. You want to do the introduction of the guest as well to complete the kind of the takeover? No, I'm not ready for that yet. Okay. Uh, that, that's uh, that's okay. for next podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh Welcome very much, Drew, game director here at Passive Entertainment. Thank you you so much. Uh, So a little story before we get started. You've been on quite a lot of, uh, you used to work on the Division Division 2. Absolutely. You've been on a lot of like streams and podcasts and stuff before. Yeah, yeah. You had a nickname in the Division community. Uh, Do you remember? I uh, I I might recall a little bit. I I, I don't think I feel comfortable saying it. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Drew used to be called Drew Cena in, in the community. Maybe because the thing is, you were always on stream with like community developers and game designers, and our arms compared to yours <laughs> are quite a lot smaller. I'm just saying. So, welcome, Drew Cena. Yeah, welcome to the podcast. How are you? <laughs> thanks. I'm great. I'm good. great. It's super good to be here. It's awesome to have you here again. It's, it's awesome. Uh, it's to been a while. Be, yeah, it's been yeah. way too long. It's been years. Yeah. Um, so, the first question we always ask we need to ask it again yeah what does a game director do Aha. Uh-huh. top level that's a that's a good question so i mean it's it's mostly about providing kind of high level direction for everything that is gameplay right, right. so you can in essence right you can kind of split a game into two parts it's not a perfect split but like you can basically say well there's like features or gameplay and then there's content Right. And those are the kind of like the two major families. Now, in reality, there's tons of crossover, uh, but a game director is really in char- like uh, responsible for like kind of uh, directing, leading um, the kind of gameplay or the feature aspect of it. Right. So that's everything from like, uh, you know, like the game design teams, the, the gameplay code teams, uh, gameplay animation, like all that kind of stuff. Sounds like you have a lot of keeping your head at the same time. Yeah. We we yeah, always if, talk if, about just if, but if you I, surround yourself with great people and then yeah yeah, 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 yeah but yeah, just, just we're if, <laughs> I want to make sure that I understand it correctly. If you could say that it's like control of the gameplay aspect of it rather than the story content. Yeah yeah exactly. I mean it's and it's really, I mean it's not so much about the control, but it's it's really like the kind of like responsibility to kind of like ensure that everything kind of like comes together, that you're providing some kind of like high level direction and you're you're like kind of like steering a ship. 
you're not the one, you're not the engine, you're not the the steering, or the um the kind of uh, like all the, the the components that actually like make it happen and are like super critical to it. You're just like the person like steering the ship and being like, hey, I think we should turn left here. You know, like yeah. Uh, the one with the schematic saying like, yeah, oh, exactly. it's going to come here, it's going to fit. And, and, <laughs> no. Over, exactly. Overseeing the assembly, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So how many meetings are you in in a week? That's a good question. How, I did, mean, you ha- how did you have time for how this? How many meetings am I yeah, not exactly. in in a week? Exactly, we're very yeah. grateful. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's of course, it's uh, make time anytime. Because yeah. we always talk, <laughs> we talk about uh, almost every time we end up talking about communication between various teams. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like you definitely have to have communications with so many different people. Yeah, all for the sure. Time. That's a that's a huge part of the of the job, right? When you work on AAA games, you know, team sizes can range anywhere between you know, a couple hundred to many hundred, right? Of people, sometimes across multiple continents, right? Time zones, all of that stuff. So communication is uh, is one of the greatest obstacles, and uh, it's a huge part of uh, what a lot of people do, but uh, but especially uh, part of my job as well. Yep. The other question we always ask, because it's always fascinating, and I know you have a, quite a, an interesting story about how you ended up at Massive Entertainment in Malmo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How? Yeah, how? <laughs> that's how that's the question. How indeed. Uh, so the, uh, do you want the long version or the short version? Oh, we have. Like we, we always say, it's an hour podcast. I mean, we have time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. good. <laughs> we want to hear it. So. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I actually went to, uh, to university to be a teacher. And uh, I, I taught uh, middle school for uh, a year graduating after I graduated university. Uh, but kind of the whole time I really like wanted to be a game developer, right? Like I, I, I thought of being a game developer was like the same as like professional athlete, like a rock star. And then I was like game developer. That's like number three. If I can't be one of those two things, like game developer would be like it's the quite, next It's thing, quite right? the split. Like uh, went to university to become yeah. history teacher, yeah, professional yeah. athlete, rock star, right, and then game yeah. developer. Yeah, so oh, definitely not a professional athlete, not even close <laughs> to a rock star. Game developer, I got. Oh, well, you got through yeah. Cena. No. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> kind of a rock star. And, anyway, yeah, no, but it was, uh, you know, it was something always in the back of my mind, but it it wasn't really a reality because I mean we're we're talking like uh, when I first kind of had this idea, it was like you know around year late nineties, early two thousands, right. And, you know, like game development education, especially in the United States, especially in the Midwest, wasn't really a thing. There really weren't that many opportunities outside of a couple of places. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a bit of, a, of, a, of an unclear path to get into games, right? So, so yeah, so I, I, I didn't even think that was really a possibility. So went to university, you know, was always really into like, like coding and like kind of like making games on the side. And then that's actually really when I got into modding as well. And that became kind of an obsession. Uh, and, you know, and I just always assumed that that was, that would be just something I did on the side. Right. Uh, but then I ended up moving to, uh, to another place. So I was in Indianapolis. Um, and then I moved to Houston, Texas and Houston, Texas actually had two game developers that were there and there weren't any game developers in Indianapolis. And, uh, I remember, uh, my, my now wife, but she wasn't my wife at the time was like, Hey, you know, you're looking for teaching jobs, but look, there's game developers. I know you want to be a game developer more than anything, right? And so, uh, so I, I applied, obviously, and um, I kind of like used my modding experience as, uh, as like my, my, my foot into the door, right? And, uh, and I remember 
I'd applied for like a level design position that I probably wasn't very qualified for really uh, <laughs> looking back. But, uh, but uh, the, the recruiter was like, hey, we filled this position already, but would you be interested to come in as a, for a QC position or QA uh, as, as what's called in the States? And, uh, and I was like, yes. So I show up, full suit, tie. I think that's beautiful. To an interview, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I'm told later that everyone was like, who is this business person that's coming in? And like, right. why is he here? Are we getting fired? Like, you know, these are all the thoughts going <laughs> yeah. through people's head. Your you know, sex are here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in my mind, I'm like, uh, like oh, I got I to gotta dress up, look nice. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, going there, I immediately felt stupid, but uh, it was all right. I got the job, right? Yeah. So uh, it turned out okay. Um, yeah. And then it was there for a while, worked on a few games, uh, mostly multiplayer shooter titles, like section eight, section eight prejudice, right. worked on a game called, uh, aliens, clone of Marines that maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe a company more heard of. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the, the company went bankrupt and like closed. And there was a guy that I had worked with. Um, and he's, uh, he's, a he's one of those guys where like he, he seems to like always know everyone and everything about the game industry, right? Like he's just like this kind of omniscient presence in the game industry. And he had reached out to me um, like probably a year before the company closed and was like, hey, I'm at this really cool place in Sweden. You should come. Like there's, we're definitely looking for like game designers. You should come. And I was like, well, you know, things are going pretty well. My, my <laughs> wife just graduated, uh, you know, with her, with, her, with her master's degree. And like, yeah, it's like she just got a job, blah, 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 blah. So like, ah, I think we'll, we'll wait it out here. And he's like, well, he's like, I just want to let you know, like, I can't tell you anything about the game, but it's going to change the world. You know? And I was like, ah, okay, whatever. <laughs> Year later, company goes bankrupt, <laughs> closes the doors. <laughs> right. And I contact him again. I was like, so about that, <laughs> about that job. <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> and actually at that time he was like, well, it's summer. He's like, we're, we're closing down. Yeah. Right. And, uh, he's like, but check out E3. And he didn't say anything more than that, but he's like, check out E3. So I check out E3. And of course, this is 2013. Right. And that's of the course. big reveal of, of the division. Yeah. And that like blew my mind because I was like, wait, 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 that's the studio making this game, you know? And I was like, oh, I got to do it. Uh, so then I like came for an interview uh, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. Moved uh, moved at the beginning of the next year yeah. uh, after all the work permit uh, stuff uh, was sorted in the move. And uh, yeah, it's been a blast. That trailer keeps coming back in these interviews. Yeah. Uh, Frederick Thylander it's was so here good. Uh, in episode so good. two, I think, of this yeah. uh, podcast. And it was the same for him. He saw the trailer and yeah, like, yeah I'm going there. Yeah. <laughs> but I got to work on this. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because like, I mean, and, and Frederick and I would, we, we still talk about it, but like we would talk about it all the time in like Division 1 and 2. Yeah. And, and same with like Ada and, and Matt and, uh, and everyone else. Like, we would just constantly talk about that trailer, like, because it was just it was such a game changer at the time. Yeah. You know? Most definitely. Yeah. But did you, were you in, you weren't in QC the entire time you were at? No. Yeah. So I, I was in QC. Uh, like, so I, that's like kind of where I got my, my foot in the door. I learned so much. I think I was there for uh, maybe four months or something like that. And it was, it was like, you know, in developer QC. And I think at that time there were only four of us or something like that. So we're a pretty small, tight-knit group. Used to play uh, Left 4 Dead every lunch uh, together over LAN, turn off the lights. Yeah, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and then I actually got in, into uh, community management, which I knew nothing about other than that I'd seen other community managers on the forums that I was on. Sure. <laughs> um, and did that. 
and like kind of at the same time, I ended up kind of like running a beta, doing some production work with like the gameplay team, handling bug reports, surveys, and like analyzing data and making recommendations, scripting events. I like kind of progressively moved more and more towards like game design. Right. And then at a certain point, it was like, hey, there's a design position open. Like, would you, Drew, be interested in this? Or like, do you want to continue on the path? And of course, I was like, no, I I want to be a game designer. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where I, I got my foot in the door there. And and then, you know, and I worked on all sorts of systems. And that was like kind of actually the nice thing about working at a smaller studio where I think we were like 100 people or something at that time. So it meant uh, I got exposed to all sorts of different systems, got to learn so many different things about, you know, controls, camera systems, scoring systems, progression, and then uh, eventually like AI. Yeah. Um, and that was uh, something I was doing the last, you know, couple years or whatever. And, and in addition to some of the other things like working on weapons and camera and controls and stuff. And, uh, and then that's when I, when I came to Massive you know, I was able to specialize a bit more and that was kind of like my, my major focus on, on division one. Yeah. Now I, I have to, because you, you dropped a name in there that piqued my interest. Yeah. Alien colonial Marines. <laughs> yes. Can you, I mean, that must've been early in the life cycle of that development or the first or second life cycle of that development. Well, well we actually, we, we saw it through, mm. we saw it through. So, um, I mean, it's been so many years, but, uh, but basically, right. So, um, I was at a, a studio called TimeGate and we were working with, uh, Gearbox to, uh, to make the title. And so, um, it was a, yeah, collaborative effort between the two. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I think, I think you always learn a lot on every project you're on, but I think especially that one was, uh, such a great learning experience. There was, there were just so many opportunities to, to get into different things to also witness completely different ways of working, which of course you see things that you want to take with you later on. And also, you know, some things that maybe you do differently mm. and, uh, and you, you know, you learn equally as valuable lesson from that. It's also a crash course into interesting AI speaking about AI, yeah. watching an alien come to life. Yeah. Yeah. Watching the casino come to life. Yeah. Um, but AI, yeah, you worked on AI for the division and the division two. What yep. what was it that fascinated you with AI? How come you like kind of wanted to specialize in it? Yeah, that's a good question. I think like I think AI was so interesting in particular because it's such a complex topic, right? Like when I had worked on other systems, you know, you kind of you design a system. And you kind of understand where you want it to be in the end. And then once it kind of reaches that point, of course, there's always like maybe some small tweaks and improvements or whatever, but you can basically look at it and be like, ah, oh, it's done. But with AI, you're never done. It's, it's just this completely iterative process. And it's all about prioritization. And, you know, you can kind of have somewhat of an idea of what you want, right? Like, like high level. But when it comes down to it, like the actual implementation, it's, it's so like, it's such a, like, it's something that you have to feel. And, um, yeah, and it's just, it's so complex. It touches everything, animation systems, tech art. Um, you know, you have to, you have to know about character art and, um, like anim tech and motion planners and narrative server is, client infrastructure. as well, I guess, like how, how the, yeah, a bit of that too, right. Of course to behave. Like, yeah. The so, I mean, it's, it's, uh, 
looking at the first game, for example, the difference between fighting a hyena and fighting yeah. a hunter. Yeah, yeah. For example. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a, I think it's a super fun place to be. And it's also one that's, uh, that's pretty technical. Um, especially, you know, in Snowdrop, we have amazing AI tools. Like I, 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 um, I, I don't want to make this claim cause I feel like it's maybe too bold, but, uh, but at least at the time it was, uh, I think industry leading in terms of the debug tools that we had. Um, you know, we, we, there were a few GDC talks and stuff uh, that uh, that I had the, the pleasure of sharing with, with Bill Dunstan, but also a couple other people like uh, Jonas Yulberry uh, did as well. Um, and uh, yeah, it was you know it was it was stuff that no one else was really doing yet in in that field. Um, so like just being a part of that was uh, super cool. I just want to say one thing. I had to look it up. Hyenas is in the second game. It, the hyenas is kill me. Yes, yeah. you're now. thinking of the rioters. Rioters, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. So, I, didn't, I didn't want to. Correct sorry it. to all the division <laughs> fans out there. Yeah, just clip it before he fixes it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit him up on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, don't at me, bro. Uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, but what's like watching, looking at AI, like looking back the way it's developed the way it has to become more complicated people have much higher expectations yeah yeah i mean, just thinking back to the first time in i think my first experience like with ai when you start thinking about ai was yeah. half-life yeah the first one yep. for sure when the soldiers come into the base for spoilers. sure and you're fighting them and, and they start thinking, flanking you. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they start barking. Like yeah. it barks at the time as well. Like, like grenade out or yeah. fire in the hole or what they're shouting. And I remember playing it with a friend and we're like, what is going on totally, here? Totally. What is happening? They're yeah. not just enemies. And then looking at when, when stuff get even more complicated, like in Fear, when Fear yeah. was released. I was going to say, fear, fear was to me like the defining moment yeah. of, uh, of AI. I mean, that was, I mean, sure, some of it was, uh, I mean, that same as today. A lot of it was just like smoke and mirrors, uh, but it's but that's the beauty of it, right? Is like as a player, you don't know the difference, right? Yeah. And that's 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 so cool. Yeah, like like we were told, I think in the last podcast, game development is all smoke and mirrors. Yeah, and totally. <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> if you're actually doing it or not. If the person playing feels yeah, like it is, exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah. how how do you? I have to ask this question when I have you here. How do you even start working on an AI system? Mm. Because there's so many branching paths that have to make so many decisions. Yeah. Like how yeah. do you, you, you have a character. Yeah. Okay. Now act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I mean, the, the first thing, right. Is, is understanding like what the, what the architecture looks like. Right. So like we used behavior trees in, in Snowdrop. Right. Right. And, and, you know, and then like games like fear, um, they used like a goal oriented action planner go. Um, and there's like a couple other like models as well that, that are used. Um, but like, once you know that, then you can kind of understand how to like, think about the problem. And so, you know, behavior tree is basically, you know, if you, you can essentially think of it as like a bunch of like, if then statements, mm. yep. right. And you just, you, you start at, at square one and then you, you figure out like, what is the first thing I need to like figure out if I'm doing or not doing. And then you, you just kind of like work from there. But, but really, you know, you figure out at a high level what you want to achieve first mm -hmm. before you even begin to like, to actually like write that stuff, you know? And, uh, and then you think about like, okay, do you have a detection system? Okay. Well, like what kind of states will there be? Because that's going to inform how you set things up. 
Uh, what kind of things will you react to? Are there a lot or are there like very few? Will they have like bespoke reactions or like very generic reactions? You know, like, will they just always play surprise and stay in place? Or will they like run away from a grenade? Or maybe they'll like throw it back sometimes or, you know, like all of those things have a really big impact on on how you set things up. So, uh, but yeah, other than that, it's, um, I mean, this is, I feel like this is such a cop-out, but it's it's just like a lot of like, hard work and like, you know, iteration. Yeah, you know, I was you... just about to ask because if one, it has to be a lot of iteration considering if one gameplay element changes, the behavior of the enemy could <laughs> like make zero sense anymore. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's true. Like you don't, like you definitely need to like solidify at least the core. Like with the division, it was like, okay, it was a cover-based shooter. Mm. But if for some reason at some point in development, we were like, we're no longer a cover-based shooter. Wow, that would have had a huge, huge <laughs> impact on on how everything was created. So, it's, so that's true. But I mean, that wasn't going to change, right? Because no, we no. knew, like, that was a, that was a a tentpole, so to speak. Um, but there's there's other things you can do though to kind of like mitigate these things. Like, okay, what if the player has this skill? Well, what if that gets cut and we're replaced with a different skill? Mm. And it's like you, what you want to do is you want to build something that's modular enough. Mm. That like, you know, it's essentially just like turning off things or like making a small adjustment in one place, not in many places. Right. You know, in, in Division 2, I think we shipped with something like 73 different enemy archetypes, mm -hmm. I think, which was a lot. But the only reason we were able to maintain that is because we used a lot of modularity where a lot of the NPCs were like sharing different components. And you could tweak them on like a per NPC level, but like the underlying tech itself was all kind of the same. So, um, so that way, if you did have a major change, you could, you know, you'd only have to make it in one or maybe two places. Mm. Um, and then that would propagate to all 73 NPCs. So, so you had like a, like a master behavior tree basically. And, and then yeah, it was tweaked for all of them. But if you made changes in the, yeah. the blueprint, mm -hmm. then it, yeah, you can, you can kind of think of it that way. Yeah. I mean, in, in reality, it works a little bit differently than that. It's, it's all about using what we call compound nodes, which are, uh, basically like little instanced uh, groups of like logic um, that you can input different like variables and like set different flags or, or, or things like that in. And it, depending on that, like you get a different output. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's essentially, you know, another way to think of it is, is kind of how you're describing. It. Yeah. It's just when you were describing like how you go about it from start to finish, it, it, yeah. it sounded like, like you want to build a brick wall and you have the blueprint and you start laying the bricks yeah but they're making the bricks as you're putting them yeah in. <laughs> yeah so you, you know and there's oh, sometimes different sizes different yeah. Shape, um. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and so you have to adjust i mean you you do have that that plan and that's what you what you fall back on and that is going to be you know at least 80 percent correct or whatever but then there's 20 percent agility and, and adaptability yeah, that's required yeah i think it's interesting as well that you can make an ai too good Mm. for the players yeah. <laughs> how do you been any situations where you felt like okay we need to scale this back like yeah. watching the hunters in the beginning for example they were yeah. crazy yeah <laughs> uh the way they acted it's like how yeah have, have you had like moments where you go okay yeah we've done too good of a job <laughs> with this enemy right scale it back scale yeah it back i mean I, th I think one of the one of the really important things right that that i learned um, I think it, like, especially like kind of early on, right. Was that 
when you work in AI, it's not about making the smartest AI, right? It's really about making the most fun mm. AI, right? Like you're always servicing the game, right? Like the AI isn't there to be like amazing AI. It's there to service whatever the game needs, right? And 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 that's just to kind of create like the most fun possible. So in a game like The Division, of course, right? The AI is intentionally built to have all sorts of flaws that you can exploit as a player, mm. right? Like the Grenadiers, before they throw a grenade, they're going to tell you they're going to throw a grenade and then they're going to expose <laughs> themselves. And then they're going to be like, no, but seriously, I'm throwing a grenade. Look, look, look. Uh, throw and you know and of course you can hit them and they drop it on themselves and then they fall to the ground because oh my god there's a grenade right there and then they try to escape and then it blows up and it kills them right and hopefully as a player you're like i'm I smart i'm skilled that. Yeah. I, that was fun yeah exactly uh whereas you know it's like the npc was just like threw the grenade real quick you know and yeah, like because it's color, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh you know it like landed right on you and it knew exactly like yeah. how long to prime the grenade so that you couldn't escape like that would be fun right no, no. <laughs> yeah and, and and that's also another thing because inside of a computer game you as the player are inside the world that is controlled by the game yeah yeah the ai of the enemy is controlled by the game so technically he always knows where you are yeah it, it, totally so so it's totally. like how that information is propagated like when he should be able to see you. Yeah, versus, yeah. And, and also you want to have him, uh, you know, patrol in a certain way so that, you know, that the sneaking portion is is free. Like Totally, yeah. And so, I mean, and that's interesting, right? Because we have to develop all of these systems that kind of simulate the, like, awareness of NPCs or, like, the detection of NPCs, um, like, of the player, right? To, like, simulate, like, oh, they, like, lost where you were and they still think you're over here when in reality you're over here, like we call those last known positions. Right. Mm. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're super fun as a player, right? Because you, you can outsmart the AI and feel smart and you can feel like super proactive. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's a surprising amount of work to make that happen, right? Because the the alternative is like, yeah, of course we know where you are on the server. Of course we know if we're going to hit you. Of course we can hit you whenever we want. Like, of course, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like kind of like working your way back in a way uh, to, to, yeah, to just make it as much fun as possible. Yeah, and then you just tune that up and call it hardcore mode. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but then what's what's really interesting with that, right, is if you look at the division with like the legendary NPCs, yeah. it's like, of course, like we could, we could make them like pinpoint accurate and, and everything. And, and like, you know, they, they are very accurate. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but we still needed to have those little windows of opportunity, right? But instead of them being a second or half a second, they were a tenth of a second or something like that. So we were, we were really playing with it. But if we removed it completely, then it wouldn't really be very much fun. And then we would be almost asking players to just like suffer and not know how to improve because there's no room or, like as a player, like the one thing that you can kind of do when it feels hopeless is exploit, right? Mm, because there, yeah. there's always going to be some kind of like strategy or something that you that you might be able to find where like, you know, we we hadn't thought of or something was maybe even broken or or just not, you know, robust enough for us to like solve a, a difficult problem or an edge case or something like that. And that's not very fun, right? Okay. I mean, maybe for some players it is, but... Uh, well, in Dark Souls, it's very rewarding yeah. to, do, to do the cheese tactics. That's how I finished the second game, I think. Yeah. Um, but, um, 
you wrote an article plugging our website a little bit. Yeah, you yeah. wrote an article about AI and the yeah. myths, the myths of AI. Yes, yeah. uh, that's up on massive dot massive dot slash blog. Yeah, uh, and do a little search for Drew or AI, and, and, and you'll find and the it. link is yeah. right in the description somewhere. Yeah. Right, I keep forgetting we have that. Uh, George, can you write down uh, the, uh, the link in the description? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, <laughs> done. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to go look for it. Okay, fine. Um, there is one thing about the. Um, Drew is tearing apart the scenery, um, yes. the studio. Uh, one thing I just want to bring up uh, before we leave the, this topic is when Frederick Thailander was here, yeah. he talked about um, a certain enemy type in the first game yeah. where the backpacks exploded yeah. when you shot at them. <laughs> yeah. And he blamed the solution yeah. on you. Yeah. Putting <laughs> like a shrinking down an enemy, yeah, and then having that, yeah, just fire everywhere, making them invisible. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, that's such a brilliant, beautiful <laughs> solution to a problem. So, speaking of smoke and mirrors in video games, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean in, in in that case, right? It, it's one of those things where we knew what we wanted, you know, and it was like they have this ammo back, and you know because video games, uh, you shoot that thing and it like has that like kind of like popcorn effect and fires bullets everywhere. And we want to be like a chaos creator, right? But we actually didn't have an ability to fire bullets unless it was like an NPC or a player. Right. So like we couldn't just have like a random object fire bullets. Why? Because like we didn't, like our weapon system didn't run on like props, you know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, so the obvious solution then is like, well, we could do this super expensive thing that's going to take forever. And like, who knows actually like how good it'll be, how much control, because then we have to port all these systems to it and everything. It's like, or we could spawn a tiny invisible NPC who has terrible accuracy and is like firing all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and I remember putting that in and, and one of our... Uh, Gameplay programmers, uh, Robin, was like, he's like, you did what? I explained <laughs> it again to him. And then he was like, you know, that's not the worst. <laughs> and then we shipped with it. So, <laughs> Well, I, I love how, how especially like AAA video games or video games in general, can, it can be extremely. They're, they are extremely complicated projects, yeah, but yeah. sometimes it's just the easy solution. Yeah, totally. That totally. makes the biggest, biggest yeah. effect. Yeah. That's brilliant. One thing you started talking about before that we're going to delve into a little bit, because if somebody has experience in a crazy modding project, a highly ambitious modding project that you made. <laughs> what, what are you uh, no, sure. you're not putting it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, sure. my, my Duke Nukem maps I made when I was 16. Highly, <laughs> highly ambitious level. Um, no, it's you, Drew, obviously. Um how did you, before we talk about that particular project, you were talking like modding was a way for you to get started yeah. uh, making video games. Yeah, totally. How did you, like, how did you get into it? When did you, what tools did you use? Yeah. When did you get started? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the first mod tools that I used were Never Nights One. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'd actually toyed around with some mod tools before that, but it was so complicated. Yeah. Right. It was like, I didn't even know where to begin when I was like looking, you know, at like Half-Life, for example, mm -hmm. <laughs> like trying to mod that. I was like, I mm -hmm. like, I don't even, like, what am I looking at? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and in those days too, it was really hard to find good resources online uh, you know, because the internet was, uh, was kind of 
Sure. I was not actually as much of a thing then, I guess. I was actually thinking about that uh, after we had our meeting. Yeah. We talked about modding tools, and I was I was actually thinking about my Duke Nukem maps. Yeah, I'm trying to understand and remember. Yeah, this is like 25 years ago. H- how did I do this? Yeah, how did I learn without <laughs> right. having resources everywhere, yeah. forums to go to? How did I even yeah. learn? Is this a readme file in the install directory? Yeah. I, I don't understand. I mean, sometimes, I mean, other times it's just, you just play around with it long enough and you learn. Sure. And in, in my case for Never Nights 1, right, it was, it was so easy to get into. Mm-hmm. But at that time too, there was an amazing community. And so like forums were like the, the place where you could ask questions, yeah. where you could find other people asking the exact same questions as you. Um, there was also a really nice tool for Never Nights Nights with the standalone program. Yeah. It just had a couple of drop down menus. Yeah, like, I want to do this. I want the character to go there to a specific yeah, that's point. Right. I that's want to right. spawn an object. Yeah, that's and right. And you click generate, and it would generate the code. Yes. And you can just put that in a yeah, script. Yeah, the, uh, the the script generator. I think Lilac Soul was like, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. person. That's the one. Yeah. That was an, and that was that helped it was me. Brilliant. To, yeah, it was. Really but, then, but that's good. actually I'm. That's how I learned Neverwinter script was actually putting in a bunch of things there right. and being like I because I didn't really understand the context. I understood a little bit because I I you know had done some some coding and everything, but. Um, I wasn't entirely sure about like what functions existed and, and what they did and everything and the, right. and the syntax and, and doing that, I, I learned so much. I remember, I think actually like even with, uh, with kind of the, the first big mod that I released, I think if you look at like all the scripts, I bet there's still some portion that will say generated by a script generator, lilac soul yeah. or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. there's probably still some of those in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, like just like to explain the Aurora uh, modding tools, that it was, was yeah. called. Yeah. Why it was so easy to work with compared to if you're looking at other modding tools, especially at the time. Because I, yeah. I tried Divinity 2, which is kind of similar genre to Neverwinter. Yeah, yeah. And I tried their modding tools. And you're just looking at the black screen going, okay, so quit. I'm out. <laughs> right. While Aurora Engine was really easy to work with just, so easy just the way you could place objects place so easy. Uh, environments everything exactly was, yeah i mean everything was was tile based for the map yeah right and and so like and and at the beginning you were basically asked kind of like how big is the map okay and then um i don't remember if this is never so now i'm like getting never when it's one and two mixed right. up but i don't remember if you made the choice then what kind like what style if it was a dungeon if it was a forest or I whatever think so. so i think you did at that point but otherwise it's 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 after but it was the regardless it's super easy because you have these menus clearly labeled they made the game with the a tool set in mind, right? Yeah. And the developers use that tool to make the campaign. You can actually open the campaign in the modding yeah, tools. Yeah, exactly. Check, check out how they did exactly, and and you can do literally every single thing yeah. that they did. And uh, which, by the way, is also you know one of the ways that I that I was able to learn the engine was by just opening the campaign, and because I had played the campaign, I was like, how did they do this like cutscene or whatever? And it's yeah. like, oh, that's brilliant! They're hiding the player and they're making him invisible, and like, I mean, it was just. Such cool stuff to like learn at that moment. So, so yeah, just put it in and then read the code for the function that you're looking yeah. for. How they did? Yeah, exactly. Ah, that's nice. Yeah, but the but the the just the user friendliness yep. of that engine. I mean, you could make a map in 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 under a minute. I mean, yep. it wouldn't be a good map, but it would be a map. Yep. And that is, you know, I don't. I still don't think there's an engine today that you can do it that quickly and get in game and and just like run around in it. Uh, it's, no, it's amazing. I think it's still worth. 
actually investing in if if you're interested in modern interested in telling stories and just want yeah. to make maybe not so much focus on your own gameplay and your own kind of, of yeah. uh, genre or whatever you want but a way to tell a story because you have all the the conversation tools you have exactly. everything that yes. you can dream of and the conversation tools for example are really easy to yeah. work with as well yeah it can get really complicated um but it, it's still easy to use. So I think it still might be worth as a beginner to actually take a look yeah. instead of, hey, I'm downloading Unity and driving myself insane. <laughs> maybe pick up Never with the Nights on Steam and, and yeah. get started in the tool. Yeah, exactly. Because it's still, and there were still like multiplayer servers running. The, yeah, there uh, are. City of it's Arab still Beth, a pretty, cool. yeah, so, it's still a pretty active community. Yeah. And I mean, in in these days, right, it's, um, I mean, I, I moved to Never Nights 2 uh, kind of exclusively at the end of, 2006 mm-hmm. um and you know and and it's it's a more powerful tool set in a lot of ways but on the flip side it does actually come at the expense of kind of usability mm-hmm. right so no longer can you just like quickly like put out stuff on a grid it's like okay the exterior areas you're actually like painting terrain and then interior areas it's like yes it's still tile based but you have to make the tiles match up Right. You know, and it's yeah. just, it's just a little bit extra effort. It's not difficult, but it, but it is a little bit of a, of a learning curve. Yeah. Um, and it's different camera and everything like that. So, you know, the attention to detail is different. It's, it's higher fidelity, yeah. which also makes it more time consuming and you have to kind of do your own lighting and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So <laughs> going into Neverwinter Nights 2 now yeah. and the crazy project you started. Yeah. Like, this is one of the most ambitious modding projects I've heard of. Actually, <laughs> what did you do, Drew? Yeah, wait, what did I do? <laughs> what did you yeah. do? If I Google your name, yeah. what will I find on the internet? Yeah, I, I, that's a good question. I, I don't I know. Can, I can do I it now. Truly I truly don't, don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I uh, before I got in the game industry, I had a, I mean, a kind of a, a, a crazy idea, which was, you know, this tool set for Never Nights 2 has all of the things that I could ever need and want to remake Baldur's Gate because Baldur's Gate was and is like my favorite game of all time. And there's such fun memories of, of, of playing that game. And, and I remember like, I, I tried a little bit, never nights one. I got to, up to uh, like the, uh, the friendly arm in, which isn't that far. Um, and then I, I remember being like, ah, you know, it's just the, it's too limiting. Like the tools aren't there to like really like, or not the tools, but the like the kind of areas mm. themselves uh, just aren't. Uh, it's it, it, yeah, it just was like not robust enough to like feature the kind of landscapes and things that I wanted to do. So Never Nights Two came out. It was like this, this is perfect. And I'm completely naive. I've never made a game before, really. Like I had made some some silly things in high school that were like you know board games and stuff, but you know <laughs> on, on PC. And uh, yeah, so I I started. Um, I, I, uh, what, 2006 and then, uh, seven years later, I released it. <laughs> yeah, so you, it took you, seven years. I think you said, I, <laughs> I, I think you said in the interview we did before that you, that was not the time frame you expected. Oh no, not at all. I had no idea. No. I, I mean, when I, when I started, I was like, how hard could this be? How hard can right? it be to remake? <laughs> how hard could this one be? One of the biggest RPGs. I was like, history. you know, like, look at this. I've got this engine. People already like made this. Like, how hard could like implementation be? <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Um, so yeah, I, I I fully expected 
that I would be done in about, I think like two years or something like that. Mm. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I told my wife that too. Um, so, so that's why she, in the end, like <laughs> just get a job in this so you get paid <laughs> right. instead of working on this crazy project. Yeah. So, but, but it was really cool, right? Because in doing this, like I, I learned a ton and like early on too, I, I started to learn that there was so much more that I didn't know. Like, cause I, I mean, I thought I didn't know a lot, but I was like still like learning and I was like, oh, okay, I kind of have like a general feel. I kind of understand how to do this. But then as you really get into it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have no idea how like all these like pipelines work, these workflows, you know, and there was, there were so many things around like just game production that I had just never thought about until I had like really started to get into it. Um, and that's actually where like I, I worked with a, with another person uh, because we're like in, in the modding community in general, when you're working on a big project, there's always like kind of a, a large kind of transient group of people, right? They like come and go, they like maybe like contribute a couple things and then they go, right? Because no one's paid. It's no one's job. They're doing it because they love it, you know, and, and it's just like passion. And so, you know, like real life happens, people's interests shift or, or whatever, right? And they don't have time. So they, they drop out, right? But I was lucky enough to, to have a, a person uh, who helped out. Um, and well, helped out, I'd be like co-developed, uh, like Baldur's Gate, uh, reloaded, which is the, the name of the, the remake in Never Nights 2. And, uh, yeah. And like, I think we worked on it for five years, uh, together. And there was a lot too, that I learned about, like just the coordination that you have to do and the communication mm. uh, that you have to do. Right. Because one person, it's super easy because every, everything's here. You write down only what you need to write down because you might forget it. But when it's two people, all of a sudden, you know, you're like, well, I really want this like translation of Baldur's Gate to mean this. Well, that person doesn't know that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I need to convey that some way, right? So you need to like figure out how to like talk about it. And then you need to reinforce it. And then you need to talk about when that doesn't align. Maybe actually because, you know, you're you're doing it together, maybe you actually need to compromise. You need to shift. So there was there's so many cool things uh, that you learn along the way. Yeah. So. And in general, what do you think if if it's a Good place to start if if you're interested in, oh, yeah. in game development. We talk a lot about like tips and tricks and where should you get started yeah. and things with the people who yeah. who uh, come to guest us. And obviously, modding for you was a big way into the industry. Totally, I, I think I think modding is one of those things where, like, I, I think early on in the industry, that was kind of the way to kind of like get a job in the industry was 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 to mod because there you know there wasn't formalized education and beyond just like having a friend it was like that was kind of the way to to learn and to get your foot in the door but i think modding you know like modding tools have kind of been on the decline right and and that's for a ton of reasons right games are going more multiplayer and you can't really do modding so easily with multiplayer games um but also like you know with that I think that, um, you know, I think we, we lose something really special, right? And, and that is, I think modding is a great educational tool about how to make games, but also how to think about how to make games, right? Because one of the beauty of modding something is you're actually taking a finished game, a finished engine, something that shipped a game, and you are using that to make a new experience. So mm -hmm. you get to see all of these super talented, smart people, what they finished. Yeah, their and solutions to, and their approach. Exactly. And and you can learn so much. You learn, you learn like, okay, they why did they do this? Like, and then you 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 know, you read and code. They make a comment to they're like, I'm doing this because well, this why, other did, thing why did they make work. a tiny invisible NPC? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And 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 it's and it's really, really cool, right? You you learn that and you and you take that with you, right? And then you can use that approach as well. 
because in in game development, right? It's it's not always necessarily like the best ideas that always win. I mean, sure it is a lot of times, but a lot of times it's also like the most like cost effective, right? Because and time effective and time effective yeah. exactly. Yeah, sorry when I say cost. Yeah, it's uh, kind of the same. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. ruined by that's what I mean. Ruined by the industry. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what <laughs> time it sounds. Is, uh, time, time is money. Yeah, for exactly. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, like, uh, but all games have this this problem, right? Where you have a set amount of time to make a game. You always would want more to do everything perfectly, but but you can't, right? So you have to like figure out what is the quickest, best bang for the buck way to make something. And I think modding is is a is a wonderful way to kind of learn that mm. because you say, okay, well, what what do I have right now that I don't need to make from scratch? How can I combine that in interesting ways to make something that you know spits out something super cool and mm. fun at the end? I think for me personally, or what I feel now about like modern modding um, is. It is coming from Never With the Nights as well. Like yeah. Getting my start there. Start in modding. Jesus. It sounds <laughs> like I, I actually created something in my life. I never created a mod. Uh, but started to poke around in it there and then going to do games like Dragon Age, which is still kind of yeah. complicated to work with, but still yeah. manageable. You can create some cutscenes, create some scenes yeah. fairly easily in that. But coming to more modern engines, like, I had some idea for Skyrim mod. Yeah. Booted that up. Yeah. And again, just like, <laughs> mm, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. It feels quite intimidating now. Yeah. For me going in with, with modern day modding tools. Yeah, for sure. How do you get over that kind of, that step? Yeah. You think? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good question. So, I mean, I, I think like a lot of things, right. It's, it's really, I think it's about setting the right expectations right? That it's going to take a while and that's going to be a learning process, mm. right? Because it is one of those things where you, where you step into it, you're not going to know everything and you're going to have to learn, right? And that means starting small, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like from day one, you're like, I have this amazing idea. I'm going to make a rideable dragon. Mm. Like, no, like that's, that's <laughs> not where you're going to be on day one, right? It's going to take a while. And I think having that expectation is, especially for like more modern modern tools and engines, mm. I think is, is, uh, is super helpful. Mm. And there's so many good resources out there. There's so like, what I love too about modding is there's always this community of people that are just there to help, right? Because they love it. Like there's no, there's no financial incentives for anyone in the modding community, right? Like people do it because they love it for the love of making games. Right. And I, and I love that, right? Like I love making games. Uh, I'm super lucky to get paid to make games because otherwise I'd just be making without getting paid. Right. So, but, um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, like relying on that kind of knowledge and expertise that these people have and, and nowadays, right. Like it was, I sound old, but now, but now there's like, <laughs> there's videos, right. Like on YouTube, there's like tons of different tutorials, right. That you can, that you can watch. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I, I outed myself as a quitter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I did as well. I, I remember modding in uh, the original GTA. Yeah, but that oh. was just that was just drawing on sprites, basically. Yeah, right. You know, right. Add, adding penises, being very edgy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. The, the old civiliz Civilization Two had that as well. Just open up the big yeah. map, maps and, and then yeah, yeah. And then in in Max Payne One on PC. Max Payne One, you could mod Max Payne One. Yeah, you could if you wanted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I never, I never got really far or yeah. made like a level or something, but people were. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Uh, you look so guilty when talking about this for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because, I don't know, I, I think what you mentioned before was like opening it up 
and it, there's just nothing. Yeah. And then closing it down. Yeah. That that was me, and I've always felt kind of, I don't know, bad about it because mm. I wanted to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't. I, I went to and you know did films and stuff as well instead. <laughs> George showing off a, a gift on the side. Great for for the audio yeah. portion of the podcast. Yeah, definitely. But but I know I have um, no idea what's going on. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like I, I went into you know film and found my passion there, and then kind of yeah. merged back into gaming by by covering games with video. But you know, somewhere in there, there's always this this little developer that never <laughs> got the the nurture that he needed. Yeah, <laughs> we should mod something. There you go. Yeah, pick a game, any game. I mean, I, I hear Neverwinter Nights is a pretty easy. Let's download. It's a good one. I'll dig up my old series. It's a good one. We'll, we'll, we'll if you guys wanna, that. if you guys wanna, you know, help out on Baldur's Gate two. I was just about to say, it's <laughs> not, your your journey is not over yet. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I mean, you did because that's it'll I, be about seven I, years I, too. I'm, I'm trying just to imagine. <laughs> just, yeah, probably. It's I, been I'm, six. It'll be about another year. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine someone is sitting in it. Like first, like the hypothetical person just sitting at home going, I'm going to create, recreate Baldur's Gate. Yeah. That in itself is insane. Yeah. But like you what, did What it. rational person that, would do that? that nobody. Really, it's a, <laughs> no rational it's a bad person idea. would. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you did it. So remaking Baldur's Gate 2 kind of makes sense. Yeah. I guess. Well, I mean, so so basically what happened, right, is... is ship Baldur's Gate one and it was uh the end was like was pretty rough I remember voluntarily crunching right like I, I don't have a boss I just uh, arbitrarily decided that I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna finish and I, I think I did something really stupid like drank a bunch of five-hour energies and uh, I think I slept four hours in like four days or something and just like crunched to the very end to like ship this thing um and uh and I remember like for about a year afterwards, I'm like, I'm never doing that again, ever in my life. I am done. I can feel happy about this. Like I released some patches. Um, and, uh, and then about, yeah, about a year later, the, the person that I had worked with started poking me and, you know, and of course I, at the same time kept thinking about, you know, if I were to do it again, there'd be so many things I'd do differently. You know, and especially at that time I was, I was in the game industry now. So now I had like learned all sorts of things. And, and so I remember like thinking about this and then at the same time, you know, my, my partner had uh, poked me and was like, you know, I really have been thinking about Baldur's Gate too. I think we could do an amazing job. Like think of everything we learned. <laughs> right. And, and of course I'm at the same time thinking, oh yeah, 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 that's great. So then I remember working in secret uh, from my wife, not telling her about it. And then very sheepishly bringing up, I was like, well, <laughs> you remember that seven year project that I just finished? Um, I'm going to do another one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's, yeah, I've been working on it for six years for, it's a remake of uh, Baldur's Gate 2 and uh, the expansion Throat of Ball. It's called Shadows of Yeah, You, of you, added, you added in the, you added in the expansions. Yeah, well, yeah. Just for good measure because it yeah, wasn't exactly. big enough. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Because it wasn't <laughs> ambitious enough. I was like, you know, someone's going to play this and be like, why did they even like. Oh, the flaming of the forums <laughs> just because it's missing. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, but no, it's it it actually has been a super fun experience, and it, and it's crazy too. Like you you never stop learning. No. Like every single day, I learn new things. And this time around, right, it's been a lot more learning about animation, rigging, pipelines of getting all sorts of kind of art assets in, uh, which I 
didn't have a ton of experience with before. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been really cool. And then of course, learning all sorts of new like production pipeline workflow stuff. Yeah. And no. getting 10 hour energy drinks instead of five. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> now, one of the, uh, the main things that we always, uh, or let's say I always bring up is the accessibility to game engines. Yeah. And for me, I always thought of that as like the very best way to start getting into game development because you have these free tools and the asset store for so that if you don't want to focus on creating something specific, you can get that from the asset store and focus on your craft that you yeah, want to learn. Yeah, yeah. But now I'm kind of coming over to the modding side. But but how, how would you like compare the two? Do you think mm. one is a step to the other or? Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's value in both, right? Um, like I, I think modding is a bit more of like a generalized approach, which I think is really good for starting because you kind of learn everything works and you kind of also can find what you're interested in. Um, but yeah, ultimately, like, I, I think if you're, if you're really interested in, in making a game and you kind of want to do it quickly and you have like a cool idea, then like the asset stores are such an amazing. Quickly. Yeah. It's not, not relatively, quick, right. Relatively, uh, relatively <laughs> quickly. Right. Uh, less than seven years. Um, <laughs> and I, 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 on it. <laughs> but I, I think like the, like, like when we think about like Unity or Unreal, um, you know, like all the different like asset stores and and like all the great resources they have that that you can download and stuff. I, I mean, I, I think that's an amazing way to do that. I think you still learn a lot of things, right, uh, in doing that. But it is in some ways, right, it is a, a larger barrier of entry because you, I think starting off, you don't even necessarily know what to look for or like how to do things. Whereas I think modding, you're already starting with a finished product. You get to see kind of all those things and then you get to kind of like deconstruct the things that you want to deconstruct. And it's not, you know, you're like intentionally breaking it. Whereas the other thing, it doesn't exist and you have to like figure out how to make it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, also with, with the game engines talking about YouTube tutorials. Yeah. Like it's swimming with how to do stuff. And I actually yeah. bring it back to me trying out modding. Not too long ago, I was like, you know what? I'm working at a game studio. I should know a little bit about what I'm talking about. So yeah. I, I, I picked up Unreal and I decided, okay, I have this character and I have a skeleton that doesn't match and I have a movement set. Now I'm going to make it all together. I'm going to rig. <laughs> okay. And that took a couple of weeks and yeah. never really worked uh, <laughs> properly. And then later I found out, oh, you just chose one of the hardest profession inside of gaming to yeah, just yeah, totally. start with. Um, totally. But it, yeah, it, it kind of gave me a newfound respect of, oh, you don't just pick up a game engine yeah. and start making stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's, it, it is funny too, because I, I remember like learning, you know, like 3ds Max or like ZBrush or something like that. And uh, the, the amount of like, of time where like, you know, you just, you just spend like getting lost in like these, which, which, you know, you, you think it's going to be a simple thing. And then it turns out that like you're picking like a super difficult thing that takes years to like master or whatever, you know, and it's, uh, because you just, you don't have that background knowledge to really like understand, like, you know, where, where you are, where you're going. And I think maybe what what I noticed in, in watching YouTube tutorials for Unity, for example, you you tried Unreal. I was poking around Unity, and and some tutorials make it sound a lot simpler than it is. Mm. 
Like, especially animation. I was watching some talks about 2D animation and, and 3D animation. It was like, oh, it's really powerful. Just do this. Oh, okay, I'm going to try that. <laughs> right. uh, no. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, skip, you skipped over five different menus, and yeah. uh, I don't even have the menu that you have. Yeah. And <laughs> four years of education. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And but, it, but it's like, you know, you, you talk to, like, our character artists or something like that, right? And uh, they, they'll sit there and, you know, in, in ZBrush or Blender or whatever, and they'll just, like, super quickly like make this amazing amazing like character or like prop or whatever and you're just watching you're like wow that's amazing and wow that didn't take that much time and then yeah exactly and you're like well sure like i could i could get started maybe i'll be a little bit slower no it's it's like (laughs) it's like a hundred times slower like (laughs) if you're interested in what dory tried out and failed at Mm. sorry yeah no it's fair it's fine um Go back and listen to our tech animation episode number four, maybe. We have an uh, episode on tech animation, so go listen to that. It's really good. Um, to kind of start wrapping things up when it comes to modding, um, your favorite mod of all time. The most impressive mod you can think of. So, I mean, I think there's, I mean, obviously, right, like it, it's hard to discount all of the, like, I mean, like Dota, mm. right? Like, I yeah. mean, it's like, that was a mod. Uh, Counter-Strike. Like Team Fortress, yeah. Counter-Strike. Yeah. I mean, these are, it, it's it's kind of mind-blowing, right? Because these things are so established now. Uh, but I think not to not to pick one of those. I mean, in the Neverwinter Nights community, right? There were some incredible mods that were made. And there was like one guy in particular uh, named Adam Miller who made some really amazing things in both Neverwinter Nights 1 and Neverwinter Nights 2, especially the beginning of Neverwinter Nights 2. And I remember he made... I think as a joke, he made this, uh, like, I think it was called Loot Hero. That was like a Guitar Hero, like, <laughs> spoof, but in Neverwinter Nights 2. And, like, it was just mind-blowing that this, you know, the CRPG could be used to make a Guitar Hero game. <laughs> you know, with the crowd, like, cheering and, like, you know, the notes going by and, like, having to press <laughs> the keys. Like, what? How do you do that, right? And then, like, you you look and see how clever it is. Um, and then there was like another like card game that he made, I think called pirate cards, which again, it was the same thing. I mean, to me, the impressive thing was using an engine that was clearly made to make, you know, like CRPGs, um, and then use it for something completely different. Yeah. You know, that was, was mind blowing. Yeah. yeah. And later on went on to inspire Gwent. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. For coming, Drew. I think we could sit here and talk about modding and AI for a long time, yeah. <laughs> but we're having George sitting in the background waving. Well, yeah. it's getting... So Thanks blame so. George yeah. for cutting this short. But yeah, uh, thank you so much for listening and or watching. And uh, remember to send us an email on behindmassivescreens at massive.se mm-hmm. for uh, any suggestions or tips. Uh, if you want to complain about how he got something wrong about the Division 1, uh, go right ahead. But we'd prefer if you know that you have a specific discipline within uh, game development that you want to hear more about or a specific person within Massive as I, well. I really wanted to say something rude about you, but I couldn't think of anything. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So send, send us an email about how much you like Dory. Um, or me considering he's trying to take over the podcast Um, also rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on like and subscribe like and subscribe that's it smash the like button bye bye